coming up on this week's episode of the Zenial Odyssey Podcast. Actually, I'm going to give this to you right now, live on the air, and you're going to tell people my title. Do you know that my screenplay blacklisted is about them? Really? Yeah. You remember, not to like circle back, but when I did that Chris D'Elia interview way back, Mm -hmm. what did I say to people after it? And next time I'm interviewing you... All right, everybody, welcome back to the XOP, the Zenial Odyssey podcast. Again, much like the last episode where we had Sherry Lynn Nicholas on and we interviewed her about her being a jack of all trades, we have the wild card of wild cards for you. Coming out of uh, Parts Unknown is our good friend here, Mr. Remy. I will turn it over to him. Remy, welcome to the Odyssey. Thank you. I'm excited right now. (laughs) This is my first opportunity to get out of my basement. Um, no, thanks, Bob. You know, you and I go way back. Um, for people that don't know what I tell people, actually, I'm going to give this to you right now, live yeah. on the air, and you're going to tell people my title. Okay. You're ready for the American Remy, Psycho, pull right? out, I'm, I'm, I'm going to guess you're going to pull out a business card. You know that this is literally the American Psycho business card. Yeah. Now, wait till you it, touch this fucking card. I've always wanted to Tell touch. people what I am. All right. Oh, shit. That has the feel. That is is professional. Oh, I'm I'm a dead. All right. I'm going to read everything except for his number. You know, Uh, on the top right corner, Rempop Inc. That's just a thing. Professional madman. It's not even a real thing. In the middle, we got at Remy Carrero, a human person. That's that's the title. Follow me on the socials or else. Yeah. And then I turned it over and it says, I got you. What did you expect back here? Question mark. Dude, that, I, I expected that movie. You're not getting this back, but <laughs> No, please don't, man. Um, I, I genuinely expected, because people always flip a business card. Yes. And so I always double-side them. And when I was double-siding this one, I just had to ask. Yeah. <laughs> what, what are you guys looking for back here? <laughs> a candy bar? <laughs> but yeah, basically, I'm a professional idiot. That's really what I tell people. I'm a writer, and I do histrionics, and people tolerate it. How long have you been a writer? And I will keep talking until you're done taking that. Thank you, sir. (laughs) I got to learn to drink further away from the mic. Um, I love that that sounds like a gong. Yeah. (laughs) Like, let's start a new bit. (laughs) Um, You know, it's weird because technically my whole life and I was just a weird little artistic kid Mm -hmm. and my siblings weren't so much. And so I would say stuff to my mother that I guess she found poetic and yep. she'd write it down. And so there's some things I had said. Um, and there was, this, I came in once because my brother and sister were kind of dicks. I was like seven 
But she wrote that down and sent it into Reader's Digest, and I won like an international poetry award for children. Wow. Yeah, which was I was going to say that's deep. No, that no, it, you know, and it wasn't. In hindsight, it, it and it summed up the rest of my life as like this person sitting in a window longing, yeah. you know. But she saw that she saw that as an opportunity, and um, I didn't know I was a writer until she gave me the award, and I saw my poem in the magazine, wow. and I remember just being like, "Oh, I can do something. This is interesting." So I just wrote my whole life, but like, mm -hmm. until the internet, I don't care what anybody tells you. It was kind of an impossible job to get. I agree with that because that that could, that brings it back around to why I wanted to start this podcast and about Zennials. And I know that there's conflicting things. Some people are like, please, it's a participation trophy for millennials and all that. But to me, there's a reality that for people who are born between that like late 70s and early 80s, like we've, I feel distinct and I don't feel a part of either of these generations yeah. that are now make up the majority of our country as adults. And uh, that's a great point because you know what we had they call it we we had an analog childhood we did we did 100%. and that means that there was no mass there wasn't as much 24-hour news cycle there wasn't the internet um and just it was a different time and yes like you were saying i mean that's a huge deal to have a parent put something into reader's digest and win an award for it regardless of age regardless of whatever and that's that's cool and i can only imagine um how that made you feel when you saw that yeah it was because i didn't know i was doing anything mm -hmm. yeah she was like, oh, you do this thing. And, you know, when I grew up, that very thing, when you're younger, you get mocked for that. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So I was a weird little artistic kid, but I just kept writing. I mean, I was the dude in my, when I was like 19, 20, and I was working at a couple different factories. Um, I worked at like a sheet metal factory, cutting down plates of sheet metal. Um, I lost my thought. That's going to happen sometimes. When you were in your late teens and early 20s, you were working in warehouses and you were Okay, and so metal. I would, yeah. even, thank you, even back then, I would carry a notebook. And like, at lunch, at my breaks, I'd be like in the corner, like writing poetry in my notebook, this dude with long hair. Now, I thought I was an idiot, but like I came to find out like the, the women I worked with, I didn't find this out till I stopped. They were all like, oh, he's dreamy because he like... J just eats yogurt and writes poetry. He's deep. Listen, I ate yogurt because I had no money. Yeah. I wrote poetry because I didn't have food on break and I needed to kill the time. Mm -hmm. But so it was a passion for a long time. And, and the only thing it, it truly benefited me with, honestly, was women. Truthfully. Because mm -hmm. even young, I was like, okay, I can use words. And words are powerful. All right. So I think that's a good place to stop where we can play a song and as always you know remy will get to pick a song and we'll come back we could talk about it or not um but that being said i mean that's a great teaser because we're going to talk about him as a writer we're going to talk about where his career is going and and you know if he wants to share it with us where he anticipates his career going oh hold on man someone's at the door <laughs> that's net we're gonna lose the audience on that yeah. pretty quick so i won't do it more than twice now i'm excited man and can i say Right now, we're transitioning to Virginia, Reel Around the Fountain, seven-minute cut, Built to Spill. <laughs> That's what we're doing, because that fucking song. <laughs> All right, so we'll come back. We'll talk a little more, um, and we're going to take a little break and you know, maybe fix our equipment if we need to, but again... My mic uh, just went loud. Oh, better the mic than other things. <laughs> yeah. But again... 
you know, you're listening to the XOP, the Zennial Odyssey podcast with Bobby Rocks and Remy. Okay, so I know you do more than writing, though, right? Um, yeah, well, I mean, yeah, I, here's the thing. I do everything that's not useful. So, yeah, I play music. I play instruments. Too many. It doesn't do me any good. Mm-hmm. That's not true. It's incredibly fulfilling. But, like, yeah, art, painting, music, comedy, directing, writing, screenplays, like, I'm nothing if not constantly trying to not be a failure, you know? And I didn't realize that till I got older. I was always like, oh, I'm just weird and I like to draw. No, when I got older, I was like, all right, all this stuff, I can use this now. You know, I can use it now. Um, But I've always said, and I've said this to people, I'm a guy, I think this is on my LinkedIn too. um, I'm a guy who can do a lot of things, none of them incredibly well. (laughs) So... um, but yeah, creativity, you know, my mother was owned a used bookstore mm-hmm. and was, I mean, her adoration was poetry, which is how she put that in me. And my dad was a hugely successful artist. Mm-hmm. So like I was between those two things. 
And somehow, and like my siblings didn't get that suckers, <laughs> but like somehow I got not his, my brother got my dad's full ability for art. Mm -hmm. And my sister did get my mom's full ability of like words and, and all that stuff. But I was lucky that I, I got to take from both of them. Yeah. You know, and no one in my immediate family plays instruments. No. Zero. Um, so the fact that I, I gravitated toward picking up instruments by myself and taught myself them, I, I'm proud of that because that, but again, that was just me being like, I'm going to lose my mind if I don't mm -hmm. get this stuff out. And it was, it was, it sounds like it was you trying to fill time with something you were trying, you were trying to find things to fill your time with, find, trying to find hobbies because you, you didn't have anything and you didn't know what to do with the, like the idle time. Yeah, and it was too, it was like, you know, my parents divorced when I was in the third grade and it got ugly. Yeah. So um, I think from the get-go and some really dark, listen, dark stuff happens to every child. Mm -hmm. Some dark stuff happened to me. Um, and so I think that the creativity was a way for me to channel some of that. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, like you said, the idea of, and, I'm, and I've been doing this for the last three weeks, um, if you can keep yourself busy enough, if stuff is kind of falling apart around you, you're less likely to bruise. Mm -hmm. no, now that, you will still, you'll still deal with it later. It's, mm -hmm. it's, it doesn't go away. But yeah, I think that keeping myself busy for me was, because I'll be transparent about this with everybody. I, I kind of want to be an advocate for this stuff, but it was to keep myself from going in my head and killing mm -hmm. myself, you know? And I was like, okay. Yep. How can I use these dark and weird thoughts manifested into something that can be productive? No, I feel you on that because I've, I've I'll personally, you know, self-disclosure here. I've been there. I've been there in my life where um, you feel like that. I think of if I was to draw a parallel to like music, I'll use music for the example. I'm really good with, with just that. So let's go back to the 1980s. Let's go to Let It Be by The Replacements. Mm. Let's go to 16 Blue. In my opinion, nothing encapsulates what it's like to be a teenager emotionally like that song does that song that song is just gut-wrenchingly depressing uh, can you help me with something real quick yeah paul westerberg yeah okay yeah, yeah yes yep. yep that's why we're yep. doing this show mm -hmm. together yep uh and um he's so fucking good and another song same album by the replacements let it be um unsatisfied i i feel like that is applied to me in so many times in my in my life like, yeah. like, uh, I think a lot, a lot of people, if not everybody does this, we make mountains, mountains for ourselves, mm -hmm. like mountains for accomplishments and, or people have hyped things up in our lives. Like for me, um, it was like my father, my father, when he would describe things, my father was a very descriptive and he would like kind of be like poetic about things. Yeah. Uh, and it didn't matter what it was. He was always like that. Um, I like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but that I would, I find when I when I would experience those things, uh, they were not the same. They were not, they were not how they were described to me and I would be disappointed. I mean, it would be my own experience, but, and so I started to notice that thing. And then it's one of those things as I got older, I just kind of said like, fuck it. Like it's, it's more about, I need to experience them with no expectations. Okay. Or, so, and not to interrupt, but yeah. I wanted to ask you, so is that something that you've ever addressed with him? Have you ever said, and, and it's not, if it's not my place, let me know, but that's what this podcast will be. Yeah. Have you ever said, dude, you were a hype beast for everything, mm -hmm. but 
the stuff you hyped me up for wasn't necessarily hype appropriate. Or is it just one of those things where you, you learned and you adjusted and evolved? I learned and I adjusted and I evolved. Um, but it is, it will sadly have to be a regret I have because my father passed away three years ago. So, I'm so sorry um, that was, and then, yeah, the, and he, and just so you know, he went out like he lived, like, you know, very poetic and, and all that. Um, they always do. My father, and, and yeah, I know I'm sidebarring here. <laughs> no, no, that's <laughs> but, what everything's um, going to be. Go. But my father was absolutely, uh, he, my father was, you know, he, he was born in 1948. He, he was a, he grew up in the flower child and the hippie ages and he got himself lost in that lifestyle in a good way. I mean, I don't mean in a bad No, no, way. I know what you mean. Um, but when he got to be the age of a father, like with my sister, my oldest sibling, um, like he really started to mellow down, but he had these like the philosophical things uh, that he loved. And one of the things he loved to do was um, he loved, he didn't just love to read The Prophet by Kilal Gibran. My favorite book. Uh, he loved the Richard Harris spoken word. It's because it's Richard Harris. It's, ri it's because it's Richard, Richard Harris. Richard Harris. Doing reading, The Prophet. <laughs> yeah. Reading Khalil, like every yeah. sentence in The Prophet can change your life mm -hmm. if you read it properly. I think my father, um, went out like the the prophet did if you think about i'm just right now i'm just making um figuratively speaking of course yeah. um uh what was the what was his name in the was it must it wasn't it, does it begin did it begin with an m the actual M Musta i wanted to say yeah 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 but you know what i don't even want to attempt it because we both feel like we're not yeah. right so for anyone who has, we've gone off base and anyone who doesn't know what we're talking about, the prophet was written 100 years ago by a philosopher, Khalil Gibran. Khalil Gibran. Yeah. Yeah. Was he from Lebanon? And he was from, um, you're looking at me. To I think he was from like, Lebanon. No, I think he was from Lebanon. I believe so. Yes. Um, and, and by name too, I think so. But. Yeah. Basically this, uh, this man had been in exile and he'd been waiting for a ship from his homeland to come. And when that ship finally came, uh, he felt like he would, he had been outcast by the people and he just, he was overcome with joy for the fact he could go home. Yeah. But then kind of like, oh, you know, maybe I should have gotten to know people. So the whole town basically waits, like is waiting at the dock for him mm -hmm. and they're apologetic that they weren't more open to him and they know that he's a prophet and he's a, someone who's wise and full of wisdom and they're asking him, uh, well, before you leave, can you can you just answer some of our questions? And this, so the book is written in the style of poetry. I mean, mm -hmm. it is. Um, and so then what, what follows is basically short stories. Like, uh, and then there's my, my, you know, my father's favorite. It's probably the most famous, the one about children. Can you, yeah. you know, can the I quote a line from that? Yeah, I can. I can. I can. You, do you want to do it? I can do it in the Richard Hare voice. Yeah. I, okay. Quote your line. And if it's the one I was thinking, God bless you. And if not, we'll both do it. <laughs> okay. So anyway, um, you know, this lady introduced her children. Like, Speak to us of children. And then if you're listening to it on the Richard Harris uh, version, it'd be like, your children are not your children. They are the sons and daughters of tomorrow. And though they come through you, they do not belong to you. Now, and yeah, okay. see that? Yeah, that was well done, though. Yeah. For a minute, I thought I was, I was sitting with a king. Um, <laughs> and I believe that the quote I like is literally, literally a few stanzas later. And it's mm -hmm. our... You are the bow from which your children are as living arrows sent forth. Yep. Mm -hmm. uh, Bob, this, this show's going to slap. Yep. Yep. This is deep. We just got you deep. You didn't even know it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm drowning over here. Yeah. All right. So, I mean, 
I know I, I mentioned it a little bit before about the that you do writing and you've you've talked about that. But what are some other of the things you do now? I mean, um, it, you, first off, uh, yeah, I I think that it's it's somewhat difficult. And I know you understand this. It's mm-hmm. somewhat difficult to talk about yourself yep. and not feel like you're masturbating. Yeah, you know. Um, but for me, I decided because I you know I wrote for shit professionally meaning like as work for about i mean it's been a decade it's been longer than a decade but it's been a decade professional which is a dope Mm -hmm. run and i always told myself that i wanted to do a million words from the get-go i was like i'm gonna be done writing when i published a million words now most people would think that's impossible but bobby knows how i work bobby saw me make a 500 page website in a year i did and each of those pages had five articles um and here's the big, you guys want to know, listen, if you guys want to know how to game social media, here's how to do it. And this is 100% accurate. Um, and I'm even going to like set this up on my snap as a video. Is it 100% dead on balls accurate? <laughs> it's dead on ball. Yeah. I, I was, I was nervous to say that, but that's exactly uh, what it is. Uh, I'm never beneath or above making a, my cousin Vinny reference. No, well, no. of course I'm never beneath or above. Um, Marissa Tomei. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, was, I was thinking, I kept thinking Aunt May because that was such a strange inversion. <laughs> um, okay. So if you want to game social media, like I just did. So Bobby asked, what am I doing now? I left social media and I came back and I came back so fucking hard. Um, and I don't know how to explain it, but I told people on my socials six months ago, something huge is coming. Mm-hmm. And I had this thing planned and it was, uh, Cause I, you know, I lost my website and I lost everything and no one hits twice. They just don't, it's not a thing that happens. Um, but I, I decided I was going to, and I set the goal and I thought it was going to take me six months, but it took me like two weeks of just really hard work. But Mm -hmm. it's the idea of making myself into a brand, which I've always done. That's why my website had my name. You know, it wasn't narcissistic. It was so people knew, but if you want to game the internet, it's content. No, it doesn't have to be the best content. That's everybody's problem. If you wait to make the perfect video, you'll never make shit. Mm -hmm. You flood Google with your shit. That's the hack. When I did my website, I knew that was it. So I had 500 articles. Now, 500, I think, is an exaggeration. I think I had close to 100 Mm -hmm. when I launched the site. So there was content there. And then I wrote two a day, every day. I didn't take days off. That was like a a self-goal? I'm writing two a day. I never let myself go under two. I just didn't. Even if I felt sick, I was whatever. I, it didn't matter. For everyone out there, we're just rolling with technical difficulties. Oh, yeah. We're just going. It sounded we're, like I just took a shit. I kind of asked the question, like, that, if that was a goal of yours to write uh, at least two times a day, and you were talking about yeah, sometimes it's five, um, sometimes it's six. Yeah, it was just, and, and the thing I learned early was, listen, to get a chance as a writer or blah, 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 influencer, which is a gross word, um, it's a blessing. And a lot of people mm-hmm. don't get to do that many people who want to. So my thought was, if I have this opportunity right now, I would be a jackass Mm -hmm. to not work myself to death. And that's why the site got 500 million hits by the end, you know? Mm -hmm. And I set the goal for the words and I did 500,000 just on my site. Wow. Yeah. And so with all the other articles, finally I was keeping tab and I was getting there and I was getting there in the last year. And I'd love to name drop clients because they suck, but I'm not going to. (laughs) But Writing just became prostitution. Yeah. I couldn't pitch an original idea. Mm-hmm. 
If I did, it was literally urinated on by editors who didn't have a clue of how the web worked. Um, and it got to the point where I was working for these sites for two fucking weeks and being like, yeah. you're awful. Like, this is, this is awful. How the fuck? Because my thing would be like, I was bigger than you are now alone. Mm -hmm. There's 50 of you and you can't run a site with 50 writers. Yeah. That to me is disgusting and sad. Yeah. So it got to the point when I was just telling all these people to fuck off. Yeah. Because the other thing about writing is you're kind of like, without a name, you're kind of treated shitty. They'll tell you, you'll get paid when you get, it's kind of a, you get paid when you get paid. And there are websites that'll hold you off for two, three months. You have to be on them. Mm -hmm. So it's exhausting, especially if you have multiple clients. Yeah. And it got to the point where I just kept quitting the writing jobs. I was like, this is a fucking joke. Yeah. And that was, and I know Bob knows one night, finally, it was like 2am and I just went with no idea I was going to do this, popped on my LinkedIn and was like, retired. Yep. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to because I'm like, you know what? Because I hit the million and it was just, now it's gross. Now, <clears throat> and you know, Kate Beckinsale to bring up randomly and we'll talk more later. Yeah. Um, but I'd have to write these articles about her. And she's one of the most brilliant women on the planet. Um, and my editors would really want to emphasize her sex because underworld as, and as they do with everybody as they do with yeah. everybody and I don't, a lot of people don't realize that she's like oxford educated 159 iq absolutely brilliant woman and i wouldn't do it you know and and you'll get celebrity sites and they'll want you to write gross stupid shit man they'll want you to write 500 words about you know uh instagram model bending over and it's like what am i doing so it got to the point where i was really frustrated with all of it and i'm like I always knew because when I had my website, I didn't have a YouTube mm -hmm. because I knew it wasn't time. Yeah. I didn't have the confidence for it and I didn't fully understand the game. That's the other thing I did for the last five years is I, met, I watched 200 hours of YouTube. I watched the highest YouTubers and I took notes. As a, as a side, uh, can I just shamelessly plug one of my favorite things to watch on YouTube? Please do. My self-reliance. Do you know what that is? I don't think so offhand. Uh, his name is Sean, and I'm sorry I don't remember his last name, but he um, professionally was like an outdoorsman, like videographer. Like he just loves nature and all that. Yeah. And he got the idea like five years ago to just go into the Canadian wilderness and- uh, Oh, live out there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do watch Record him. himself building a cabin and yep. all that. And he posts shorts on there and he said he recently is in the process of like building a new cabin. Because, uh, you know, society was encroaching on the one that he had. Of course. Yeah. And so he went a little further and, and he's in the process of that. And some, and my wife doesn't get it. Like, and I'm, but I'm like, this is relaxing and it's kind of cool. Like, yeah, he, pro yeah, he makes tons of money. But then on the flip side, there's, um, living off the grid with Jake and Nicole, which is, I get, um, I'm entertained by it, but clearly they are capitalistic. Like, and, 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 and that's a difference. And they're living out in like the rainforest of uh, British Columbia. Yes, people, there, it is a rainforest, even though it gets cold out there. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love doing stuff like that. And to me, that's, they're just recording and um, existing. Yeah. And existing. Yeah. Yeah. There's a couple too. There's a lot of um, like Nordic people that do nature blogs and like they swim in ice ponds and shit. And it's just, Something about watching it is very therapeutic. It's mm -hmm. very zen-like. Yep. I agree.
Remy knows in one of my big slogans, uh, besides hashtag and hashtags, uh, <laughs> is uh, no sacred cows. I do not believe in sacred cows. I, I believe, uh, you know, you, you can look up to people, uh, be, be famous or in your real life, and that's all fine. But I, uh, idolizing them is you are setting yourself up for that. You're Great. setting yourself up for the ultimate disappointment. Celebrity worship is yep. just repulsive. Yep. Because, you know, if you ever had the chance to meet these people in real life, you would realize just everything that you had made them out to be is none. You remember, not to like circle back, but when I did that Chris D'Elia interview yep. way back, mm-hmm. and what did I say to people after it? I said, dudes, verbatim, dude's a creep. Yep. Greasy slime bag. Mm-hmm. Brought my girlfriend at the time. Beautiful girl, ginger, no soul. Um, and I was interviewing four comedians. He was one of them. Least funniest one in the room. Just so fucking into himself. Legs strung over the chair, acting like it was a throne. Every time I turned around, trying to take my girl out in the hallway. And that shit don't, I, I was laughing at him. And that's mm-hmm. why I did a Vine where I was like, hey, can I interview you? And he thinks he's the shit. So he's like, yeah. Bro, vines are seven seconds. So I go over and I say, hey, everybody, this is Chris D'Elia. I'm about to do an interview. And he's like, what's up? And I'm like, sorry, Chris, we don't have time. <laughs> and, that's, and you can see his fucking face drop, but I caught it too quick. Yeah. You know, and I'll always, that's one of my favorite vines I ever did because, but that's the thing. Bob's 100% true. Some of them will be amazing. It's rare. But yeah, celebrity worship is it's a broken thing for broken people. Yep. If there is any epitome of that to me, it is Corey Feldman. Uh, Corey, Speaking of man. cries for help, when he was on, was that Good Morning America? Dude, I don't, even, band? I, I don't even know if I can talk about that. Yeah, that was, that was I, I felt. I, I'm going to say it was painful, but when I say that, what I mean is, like, Corey, I felt your pain. I felt it yes. come through, and that's like, and I'm sorry. Whatever, whatever it is, I can't. I didn't, I didn't laugh at you. I didn't do all this stuff. I wanted to come through the screen and give you a hug. I did. And I'll yeah. be honest. Like, I did. I bet you we could get him as an interview. Yeah. Do you know that my screenplay blacklisted is about them? Really? Yeah. I can't talk about it on air. Um, yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a what if scenario if after the Corey who passed, yeah. the Corey that was left, mm-hmm. instead of having the sort of pop music meltdown that he had which was so sad and justified um he just went robert de niro you know taxi driver and and i had written this completely i wrote the i wrote the whole thing in three months had a tiny stroke while i was writing it not even joking it was terrifying um and yeah it's and it's funny too because it has a lot of unfortunately now a lot of similarities with the um Joaquin Phoenix Joker. Yeah. To a, to an upsetting degree where people now would be like, he ripped up. No, I wrote my screenplay before that shit even had a trailer. Um, but yeah, what if, you know, what if instead of him handling it as well as he did, because that's what he did. Yep. He just basically live streams for 72 hours while he loses his mind and does a bunch of coke mm-hmm. and then live streams going to, let's say, Barbie Heinstein's house. Oh. You know Barbie Heinstein. I smell what you're stepping in. Yep. Yeah. And and what if he just so like 
and my favorite scene in the movie is um when he's walking and he's going down the hollywood hills because at this point he's in a psychosis yeah and like there's just as he's walking down the middle of the street he's just kind of dragging a fucking um like piece of rebar Mm -hmm. all the windows as he walks by are are turning red on either side of the street you know because it's just he's hell and rage going to the house Mm -hmm. and the exchange between those two was incredibly cathartic for me having been through some shit so i remember when i was done writing it i fucking cried for days Mm -hmm. um but yeah it was like it was just the idea of that because i i you know again kanye and Corey, we need to we need to do two or three episodes about male mental health Mm, kid cuddy's another one yep kid cuddy puts himself out there and thankfully he's not as mocked Mm mm-hmm but man, it's like we have to normalize men. Like I did that TikTok of me crying this week. Did you see that shit? Mm-hmm. It was tough. It was really tough to do. And I was I was embattled about doing it. But I had an emotional moment. I saw some photos, some memories arose. And I had been living on camera for the past week, week mm-hmm. and a half anyway. And I'm like, you know what? Everybody thinks that I'm the Joker. They don't understand that I'm playing this character. Mm-hmm. And it's working, but that's what I'm doing. So the cry video, man, was like, and I put it on YouTube too. And you know what? I promise you in like a year, I'll have 10 million comments making fun of me on there. (laughs) But it felt important for me to be like, yo, y'all think I'm something? Here's me crying. Gentlemen, it's okay to cry. We have to normalize this shit again. Bob, it was an absolute pleasure. I'm looking forward to doing more of these with you. Oh, Remy, as always, the pleasure is next. And next time I'm interviewing you, and you can be the uncomfortable one. No, no. You can interview me, but I'm not going to be uncomfortable. God bless you. Again, thank you, Rem. And until next time, um, this Odyssey has come to a close, and we will see you on the next Odyssey. Take care.